Hello from Oraro and Company Advocates. My name is Brian Onyango, an associate in the Dispute Resolutions Department, where I specialize in employment and labor disputes, family law and succession, constitutional law, and arbitration. Welcome to OCO Roundtable. This episode is a continuation of the last episode, commemorating the International Day for Persons with Disability, and we will pick up where we dropped off last time by discussing the interplay between PWD inclusion in Kenya and its relevance in attaining the SDGs. We still have the pleasure of hosting our guest, Samuel, who is the CEO of Ulemav Research Institute, and Jolene, the Executive Director of Spina Bifida and Encephalocells Trust. Let us jump into the topic. Rescuing and achieving the SDGs may be a thing we want to achieve. It only becomes practical when focus is narrowed down to specific context. Kenya is one of the countries that is actively engaged in programs designed to achieve SDGs. We have heard about the Big Four Agenda, the Universal Healthcare Vision 2030, and various environmental initiatives targeted at addressing climate change, not forgetting the recent National Tree Planting Day. With regard to disability inclusion, where are we as a country, Samuel? Where are we? Perhaps it would be easier to enumerate a few things that could then be described as achievements, and which, if enhanced or revamped, can then lead towards the achievement of sustainable development goals. Starting with the legal and policy framework, it is true that the country has promulgated a new constitution with a very comprehensive bill of rights, wherein persons with disabilities have been allocated an entire article just discussing on the need to include persons with disabilities in all facets of life. And discrimination is clearly outlawed in Article 27. We also know that previously, even before the SDGs, the Kenya had ratified the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which unlocks a lot of potential. There is a greater operationalization of the Persons with Disability Act 2003 with the establishment of the National Council for Persons with Disabilities, which promotes the realization of rights and equalization of opportunities for persons with disabilities. We also see that there is the National Disability Policy that was launched in 2019 and the disability inclusion strategy, national action for, you know, the inclusion of persons with disabilities, national action strategy, which serves the same purpose. We also have the sector policy for learners and trainees with disabilities in the education sector. Kenya co-hosted together with the United Kingdom the Global Disability Summit in 2018, uh, wherein Kenya made several commitments towards disability inclusion. So in the legal and policy framework, those are some of the things that can be mentioned. Of course, we, we must also mention the Social Assistance Act, the National Social Protection Policy, and many such good policies that have been formulated. We also can see that in the budgetary allocation, maybe I could mention this year, 2023-2024, I just checked that um, there is about $450 million that was set aside for persons with disabilities they referenced it as National Development Fund for Persons with Disabilities. Of course, therein lies a problem in terms of fragmentation of that funding because part of it goes to the 
NFDK and another one goes to the National Council for Persons with Disabilities. There should be problems there with accountability. But yes, the funding is there, may not be adequate, but we see an increase in such funding in comparison to what used to be there earlier. We also see some work being done in the area of representation. Unfortunately, on that one, there's a bit of regression. But yes, we know that persons with disabilities now have representation in the National Assembly and the Senate and in the County Assembly. It should be all for the 47 counties. That is the provision in the law. But we know that there are several counties which still do not have representation, actually around 20 or 21, which is a problem because in 2017 election, we had 17 counties lacking in representation. And now we're talking of 21, which is a problem. So we also see with increased funding in the United Nations through their disability inclusive strategy, we now have more international development agencies being funded with disability funding. And uh, when they implement programs in this country, we are then able to see the ripple effect on the living conditions of persons with disabilities. I know, for example, Wajir County government was funded by the World Food Program to design a disability inclusion program. They even have a social protection policy and now have the disability inclusion program. This county has set aside 40 million every year for persons with disabilities. There are counties that do not have a single million. So I cite Wajira as an achievement. In the area of attitudinal change, we may not have really gotten there because we still have a lot of barriers in that area. But it is also true that we can cite some improvement in the attitude because if you look at the fact that we know there are people who are persons with disabilities and who have presented themselves in a competitive election and won, meaning the electorates did not see their disability. They saw their potential. So that gives me hope. And, and of course, you know, that is Honorable Tim Wanyonyi and Honorable Martin uh, Wanyonyi Pepela. So that is an improvement if we can build on those gains. I know I've cited a few. I, I know there are quite a number as well that could be mentioned. Yeah. Thank you for that overview. Perhaps you can help us understand more about the role of the National Council for Persons with Disabilities. You may also want to clarify on representation uh, of PWDs. Why do you think we are regressing on that end? I think let me start with the aspect of regression or why I characterize it as regression. Because, of course, we see the dwindling in numbers of representatives. Why? I think it's misunderstanding of that clause. Because it is required in the Constitution Article 100 that the Parliament should enact a law to guide representation of marginalized groups. They chose to make it part of the Elections Act. And of course, it is shallow. There is no clear criteria of nominating this person to represent persons with disability. So then it means that it, they become tokens that are used by political parties to reward their friends. And I think on that front, we will give some recommendations of what we think needs to be done. Number two, on the role of the National Council, it's clearly provided for in that in Section 7 of the Persons Related Act. Too broad in my view, but yes, they do advisory, they do policy formulation, and to their disadvantage, in my view, they also implement programs. And I say to their disadvantage because their size and the level of funding they receive does not allow them 
to be program implementers. But yes, they implement programs, they provide bursaries, scholarships, assistive devices, economic empowerment fund for groups, and some funds on awareness creation and Binizum fund. And most recently, I think there is fund for persons with developmental disabilities. They do quite a lot, uh, which unfortunately is not commensurate to the funding and the staffing that they have. Yeah, thank you, Samuel. On education, and this I want to ask Jolene, are we making any progress? I would talk about uh, SDG before I reach the education, which is uh, number four. When we talk of, about SDG number one and number two, we are talking of poverty and the hunger. Right now in Kenya, it's a very sorry state. I keep wondering uh, why is disability closely related to poverty so that most families of people with disability are below the poverty line, as it was said. Taking care of a child specifically or a person with disability is very expensive. Achieving this goal has been a challenge for Kenyans because when you're talking of vulnerable, most needy, we're talking about marginalized, we still find disability in this group. That also informs the level of income that these people have within their families. Again, I'll talk about good health and well-being. Number three, uh, we can't separate disability and health. The issues of rehabilitation, assistive device, early intervention, which is very key to somebody's living independent life, someone with disability, I also keep wondering the issues of the health worker, the personnel, their understanding level and uh, capability to really serve persons with disability. Uh, for example, if I talk about sign language and the deaf, how many health workers understand sign language? And therefore, if a deaf person comes to the hostel, we'll get the service. So these are still uh, challenges in terms of SDGs that needs to be addressed. Uh, we have uh, issues of uh, sexual reproductive uh, rights, health rights for persons with disability. We've had cases where the women with disability, if they conceive and they're going to hostel for antenatal clinic, people keep wondering who made them pregnant, why are they having getting children? Just coming short of saying, why must you have a child if you're a person with a disability? Sometimes visits to hostel, for example, annually we have to do a test we have to do a span for the kidneys to know whether they are functioning in the case of spina bifida. If that test is not covered within NHIF, this poor family will not do it. And failure to do it can lead to a kidney infection and liver, and then they, we lose the person with disability. When we come to gender, I, I remember recently we were in a committee that was working on the memoranda to present to the two-thirds gender committee on uh, inclusion of persons with disability even within the two-thirds gender so that when we are achieving two-thirds gender then in that not more than two-thirds we can have the five percent inclusion of persons with disability within on education currently as given by the ministry of education we have 450 special needs schools in kenya versus how many other schools yes we are talking about integration when we integrate persons with disability in the regular schools? Do we have the infrastructure to take care of their needs? And for the special needs education, do we have infrastructure or development to ensure that the school is uh, able to have the persons with disability that it is uh, designated for? Uh, that is still a challenge, a big gap in education. We have a LIMU scholarship. And uh, allow me to give you a painful experience that in 2022, a LIMU scholarship 
gave 9,000 students full scholarship from poor and needy families. In 2023, 10,574 children were given scholarship. And in all that, none of them was a child with disability who got scholarship from the government. So that uh, tells you, out of the 450 schools that we have, there was no child that qualified for the Elimu scholarship. Again, from the TSC, they indicate that there's acute shortage of special needs teachers in Kenya. That means the learners with disabilities are not served well. On the same education, I would want to say that uh, we have a good intention. And I think right now, before the Senate, there are three bills that were presented. One is learners with a disability bill that focuses on ensuring the learners with disability achieve the goal that is intended. Again, we have sign language bill before the Senate. And finally, we have the disability amendment bill. And I just hope when these bills are passed into law, then we will have gone a step higher and I would add into the achievement that uh, someone talked about, that we will achieve uh, even if not a 100%, but a good percentage, a good mileage on the persons with disability and especially on education. This, again, also begs the question that are we working towards doing this and who are the stakeholders that are working towards achieving the goal for education for all? So we look at it in that way and I hope we are going to have uh, more engagement around education to just ensure children with disability are catered for in the special needs education. Right now there is a fund, a multi-donor funding, I think it is called KPIL, Kenya Partnership Compact Document which has different donors involved into ensuring equitable education for all Kenyan children. And specifically also, our interest would be the learners with disability in Kenya. We are talking of refugees. We are talking about a school feeding program, school improvement and infrastructure. And it would be a good document to look at. It would also be a good uh, thing to monitor as disability stakeholders to see how much, to what extent. It affects the learners with disability. But there's a lot of funding that is coming in through that KPL program into Kenya. Jolene, and you say correctly that stakeholders have a role in ensuring that all these things are achieved. The realization of whatever we want to seek has to involve a number of players. I want to point out one specific uh, provision of law on succession, which requires when a person is making a will, for that will to be valid, it has to be attested to by two competent witnesses. And that mm-hmm. as attestation is to be done in the presence of the person making the will. Meaning that when you are making the will, one of the witnesses must be there and uh, they must see your signature. That requirement implies that persons who are blind have no capacity to witness to a will. What does that say about the role of stakeholders in ensuring that such provisions of law, which clearly goes against the sustainable development goals, are done away with? Maybe if I could jump in there. I think we are handling, looking at the barriers or challenges. And uh, in the legal and policy framework, there are some challenges that need to be checked. For example, that which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. There are still laws that have not been aligned 
to the constitution or the CRPD. One that requires ones to see the signature of the one making the will. And of course, we know even this consistent mentioning mm-hmm. has got to be of sound mind. And the Persons with Disability Act 2003, which establishes the National Council, also needs to be overhauled so that we have an, an entirely new act that is aligned to the constitution. We also know that there are policies, for example, the National Disability Policy, which we should be up for review next year. So that requires a number of involvement. But of course, the policymakers, starting with the National Assembly and the Senate and the various ministries, as well as county departments, must play a role in ensuring that that is done. And the organizations of persons with disabilities and other civil society organizations must also ensure that they push the duty bearers to do that. We know that the funding also is limited. Look at the education funding. We've had an increase in the number of learning institutions for learners with disabilities, as well as the learners enrolling in in institutions. But we've not had an increase in the education funding to a point that even the support staff, who are really important in those schools, the social workers, the people who assist these learners, be able to have an, a conducive learning environment. Those people who are there to ensure that, for example, the work is transcribed into Braille or in, or from Braille to print for learners who are blind, or even those that are helping with the sign language. Education funding for learners with disability is so critical that without it, we cannot possibly be able to implement the CBC effectively. That's a barrier which still remains. We know the attitudinal barrier, which exists even in the leadership. we got to do something to change that attitude because you cannot interact with the people that you demean. The leadership must embrace these people. It is clear in the law that 5% of appointive and elective bodies should comprise of persons with disabilities. Why are we not having persons with disabilities in leadership? When you have persons with disabilities in high position, it not only serves to inspire hope among the learners, school, the learners with disabilities are very true can, can amount to something, but it also helps to set the attitude of the community. So I think that is still a barrier because if we are lacking such people in the cabinet, no wonder when you go to the county government, that is happening. And no wonder we still have very few CEOs, if any, of our parastatals or even other private sectors who have a disability. And lastly, allow me to mention one of the greatest barriers is the fragmentation and disempowerment, either by design or by default, of organizations of persons with disabilities. You cannot have a disjointed group lobbying for the implementation of the Sustainable Development Goals. That becomes difficult. No wonder the theme tells us we got to be united in action. The organizations of persons with disabilities must quickly spring up and mobilize and strategize so that then collectively they can push the duty bearers to implement their part of the bargain when it comes to the implementation of the sustainable development goals. Otherwise, we remain disjointed, we lose out. And when we come together, we got to be empowered because you only give what you have. You cannot give what you don't have. Organizations of persons with disabilities through their leadership must enlighten their members on the sustainable development goals, the targets, and the indicators. There are 52 indicators, 
and there are seven targets that expressly mention persons with disabilities. Are organizations of persons with disabilities aware of this? Are, and are they actively aware to become proactively involved in lobbying for their implementation? We got to push for the collective action and active or deliberate empowerment of these organizations, which of course is, must be led by government. It is government that must ensure that these organizations are sufficiently empowered to dispense their mandate. Just to pick up from where Sam has left, I think from the onset, the right holders ought to know their rights and ought to advocate and create awareness on the rights that they have. Again, the OPDs, the Organization for Persons with Disability, ought to be united and forging ahead towards the same goal. To the national and the county governments, where is the disconnect of achieving the threshold and the goals? It calls for more advocacy, for more awareness. Uh, the other issue that I would say that has been the impediment to achieving this is inadequate funding to the disability work. Disability has a lot of issues that needs to be addressed, but in most cases, the funding is not enough. Even the donors, non-state donors that fund disability, there are very few. Most funding goes elsewhere. Again, there's the socioeconomic challenges that we are going through. If you are seen to have working towards disability issues, there's a lot of stigma around disability. That has not ended. A lot has been done, but there's still stigma especially in the rural areas, and the persons with disability are not empowered, the community are not empowered. Those are barriers that need to be put aside so that we look towards achieving the goal. Yeah, and also there's the aspect of visibility of persons with disabilities, because someone would attribute some of the barriers you've highlighted to lack of visibility on the part of persons with disabilities. And they will say that, it is not possible for us to, in the context of election, elect someone who has not even offered themselves as candidates in an election. And you also cannot go there and force someone to vie in an election. And I will give an example with uh, lawyers. There are so many qualified advocates with disabilities, but how many of them do you know or you have come across who engaging active practice of law. Why are persons with disabilities lacking in visibility? Maybe, Bran, uh, just to give you an example and respond to that. Yes, yes, Yolin. One, yes. have we created a conducive environment for these advocates? Have we created an environment where people with disability in all spheres of life feel comfortable to achieve? I can tell you, my employer for a long time did not know I have some form of disability because any time you go for an interview, you present yourself, you present your documents, then you go for an interview and they get to know there's a disability behind the scene. They begin to judge you from the disability and not the capacity of work. So we tend to shy away because of the fear of being stigmatized, the fear of being labeled, and that also affects our being involved in advocacy and uh, awareness on disability issues. Just to add something before we leave the issue of barriers, I think at some point I said that to the disadvantage of the National Council for Persons with Disabilities, they also implement programs. That makes them leave out a very key 
aspect of disability inclusion, having a comprehensive awareness creation program throughout the country. When you don't have a deliberate effort, well-coordinated to create awareness, where we even have disability ambassadors in every ministry and in every county, these are the things that happen. Because from what Jolene says, it is evident that we don't have clear awareness creation programs within the judiciary or even within these other uh, ministries and departments and agencies. As things stand now in this country, we don't have a comprehensive awareness creation program that targets the people in the language that they understand. If that is not done, that remains a barrier. In light of the discussions we've had uh, so far, uh, touching on the barriers, we have examined the state of disability inclusion in Kenya. We've looked at the legal framework and the gaps that are there in relation to the sustainable development goals. It is not to say that we have not made progress. Some of the laws that we have enacted as a country has really contributed a lot to attempting to achieve disability inclusion. We are better than, you know, before the 2010 constitution came to place. We have made some steps forward, but there is more to be done. And uh, now, in light of that conversation, what recommendations would you propose if we are to achieve a disability-inclusive Kenyan society and uh, ensure that our laws and policies are responsive to the SDGs some way? Number one, in uh, view of Kenya having ratified the CRPD, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Abilities, and promulgated a new constitution, Kenya must now go into its laws, the penal code, and check which aspects of the law are not in tandem with the CRPD and the constitution. Which policies require being repealed or reviewed? So that in terms of the legal and policy framework, we eliminate every clause, every aspect of policy that is impeding the achievement of disability inclusion as espoused in the SDGs. Number two, we must begin to then embrace good practice of disability inclusion as benchmarked by some countries that have made tremendous steps in that regard, particularly the Scandinavian countries. You know, we send people out there to benchmark. It is high time we implemented those things that we learned out there so that we reduce the policy implementation gap. Number three, disability funding has to be increased and we remove the fragmentation. If we identify one agency, currently we have the NCPWD and the, and the NFDK, the National Fund for the Disabled of Kenya and the National Council for Persons with Disabilities. Where is the rationale of having these two agencies? We need to have one agency that is tasked with uh, disability matters and then properly funded to take care of its mandate. In fact, in doing that, even the law establishing it has to be clear and spell out articulately its mandate so that we are not all over the place. You so are concerned that the council is still is implementing most of this program. They ought not to be unimplementing the organization. They should be advising. They should be guiding in how to formulate policies, going out there and, and identifying good practice and then importing it to the country and seeing how best that can be done. Number four, we need 
a very comprehensive awareness creation program for disability inclusion. Make a case for disability inclusion. That disability inclusion is as much a human right as it is an economic necessity. When you achieve disability inclusion and by extension the sustainable development goal, you help to increase the national GDP. The money that would go into helping out these people who cannot work. These people who you think cannot work, when they are in gainful employment, they will contribute to the economy. Number four, invest more in implementing Article 43, social and economic rights. Deliberate, because education is the equalizer. All children of school-going age with disabilities must be in schools. And every qualified person with disability, who's a, a professional, must be at work. And by so doing, let's also remember to invest in social assistance programs. Because we know that there are persons with disabilities who will not be able to work for one reason or another. Do we have a comprehensive social protection program that is not only focusing on cash transfer, but all aspects of social protection, including the provision of assistive devices. In fact, I've even recommended that the provision of assistive devices must be devolved to county. It is proper to have county government take care of assistive devices because they know what their terrain looks like and what the needs of those people are like. And lastly, number five, organizations of persons with disabilities. The government registers them. They must follow through with empowering them. Empowering them not only with the knowledge and skills and attitudes that are required for them to fulfill their mandate, but also to ensure that they have proper funding for it. Because it is difficult to implement their mandate without them having proper funding, without them having proper offices, without them having the different resources that they require for their work. So empowering of organizations of persons with disabilities is very key as far as that is concerned. Yeah, sure. And Jolene, as you give us your recommendations, there was something you wanted to say. Maybe you can begin with that before you proceed to recommendation. Okay. There's a critical need for the duty bearers to ensure the protection of the human rights of persons with disability. I would summarize it in four broad rights. The right to life, the right to survive, the right to develop, and the right to be protected from any harm and danger. The right to life, many times in Kenya we've discovered through our work that there are some families that even deny a person with disability a right to life by actually ending the life. There are also issues of the right to survive. When I am not taken, uh, I'm not taken to hospital when I'm locked, we remember in Kenya we have some cultural and religious practices where there's a culture that prohibits him from being taken to hospital, thereby denying you the right to survive. What can the government do to ensure this is done and somebody achieve their right? The right to develop, to be in school, to be empowered, to, to be employed should also be looked at. And again, the right to be protected from any harm and danger. You will realize if you check different organizations working for persons with disability, out of 10 persons with disability, about four of them have experienced some human rights violations. And when you go to those communities, the issues are not reported. The evidence preservation collation was not done. And even if you were to take such a case to court, you will lose because you don't have evidence on this case. And the families keep close this kind of issues. So the rights to be protected from any harm and danger 
should actually be articulated and should be implemented so well. And the period by which the cases take from the time they are reported to the time the justice is served is also critical in these issues on recommendation and action that needs to be taken. I am very categorical that we would need to see the implementation, strict implementation of the laws and policies that we already have in Kenya for us to realize this. I look forward to radical actions against flouting the the laws and the policies of Kenya. There's progression in the laws, but we need to implement them so that we achieve certain goals, either through deterrence or through action. Again, as a disability uh, mainstreaming workers, we need to capacity build the duty bearers. I must admit, in most of the cases, you discover that the duty bearer at the grassroots is not even aware of the human rights and the rights of persons with disability. We need to empower them so that they also they are retooled to be able to ensure disability mainstreaming. Again, we need to conduct a national disability audit because if we don't have the data, we are not able to recommend any change. We also need to empower persons with disability. Most of them, in our course of work, you discover somebody is locking up their child in the house inadvertently because they don't know what to do. They don't know the existing structures that can help. The school has rejected the child. If you leave the child out, they are vulnerable to sexual violation. We need to capacity empower the right holders, the caregivers, so that they are aware of existing structures and support. They are aware of the rights of the person and they are aware of where to get help. We need to empower the Organization for Persons with Disabilities. And this should be done by none other than the duty bearer, the government, so that they are able. We are actually not competing. We are complementing each other. We need to strategically empower the OPDs. And the government should be the goodwill ambassador, even to the donors, to fund the OPDs so that we complement each other's work. We need to increase the funding so that this sector can also be given the strength to implement in every village. Also, I want to talk about the need to bring on board other stakeholders like the media and the religious institutions. If we tap into their geographical coverage and we use them for awareness and advocacy, we would also get a step higher. We would actually reach all corners of this nation. And to the legal fraternity, you are our voice, you are our advocate, as the Bible would call it. For you to get the CLE points, you need to have done some pro bono work. Why don't you direct the pro bono work towards supporting disability inclusion and mainstreaming in Kenya? Brian, just two quick recommendations. In view of uh, SDG number 11, access to the built environment and human settlement. Just like uh, you cannot have a building come up in this country without the approval of NEMA, we must ensure that no building is allowed to come up or be occupied if it is not disability friendly. And then the last thing I would want to say is that every person with disability who is educated, who has a career, must understand that disability inclusion will only succeed if we are in the forefront. Great recommendations there. Indeed, I am certain that when these recommendations are acted upon and every stakeholder do their part, we will align with the Sustainable Development Goals. In winding up, our guests can give us their last words. 
my parting shot is that just as the theme exhorts us, it takes collective action and it realizes that to achieve the sustainable de- development goals for, with, and by persons with disability, each and every individual has a role to play. Whether you are a government, private sector, civil society, faith-based organization, or just a private citizen. And what we are being asked is that let us work collectively. Let's heed this call and let's give our all towards the achievement of the sustainable development goals. Jolene, your closing words? To ensure the realization of sustainable development goals, all stakeholders must be strategic, intentional, and consistent in all they're doing. Number two, it's a warning and a a call. Disability is congenital, it's acquired, it is progressive. One ought to prepare well when you have the opportunity to. Thank you, Jolene and Samuel, for sharing your insights with us. We would also like to thank our listeners for taking the time to join us for this episode where we discussed the state of persons with disability inclusion, gaps and barriers in the quest to achieve inclusion, as well as recommendations. We hope you found our discussions to be enlightening, and we invite you to listen to more of this and other topics by subscribing to our podcast. We value your feedback, and you can also share your feedback by reaching out to us through our social media channels using the hashtag OCO Roundtable. Until then, bye and take care.